Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on WDAY. You know, last night, if you watch the Weather Channel, you'd get the idea that one of North Dakota's cities is vanishing. That's right, on a special of the Weather Channel's Vanishing America, the city of Minot was featured uh, in the context of Minot's 2011 flood. Uh, Minot certainly wasn't the only community in North Dakota to flood that year, but we had a bad one. It was pretty devastating. Uh, the Weather Channel came up here, uh, came to Minot earlier this year to interview a couple of our city leaders, Sean Sitma, city council member, as well as Miranda Schuler, uh, who's also a member of the city council, uh, and, and spoke to them about you know the impact of the flood on the community and rebuilding. Little did they know that their interviews were going to become part of uh, maybe a narrative that they didn't expect. Uh, Miranda, Sean, thanks for being on the program today. Hey, thank you, Rob. Sean, I'll start with you. When you saw the show air last night, what what was your reaction? Uh, well, to be honest, Rob, I was just wholly disappointed. Uh, it literally just, to me, was a misguided portrayal of Minot and our continued effort to rebuild, recover from the 2011 flood. Aside from, you know, I, I think some misguided portrayals of uh, growth from the energy boom and then that settling back and tried to tie it in, like you had pointed out, to a narrative. Yeah, it was it was really unfortunate, I, I thought. I, I guess just when I'm watching this, it didn't match a lot of my expectations. Miranda, what was your reaction? You you were both interviewed for this. They came up, they asked you questions, you answered them. What, what did you think of the way your answers to, to the Weather Channel were portrayed in, in that show last night? I um I was uh I was expecting something completely different a, a good portion of the time that we that we visited and it was about an hour and a half I'd say um was my personal um flood uh story and recovery um and and just some additional information about the community and the resiliency within the community the bonds that were made between you know neighbors how we all helped each other out um and none of that none of that was used and and it, what I thought really was interesting is um, the Minotauros were shown in the beginning of our segment, and and I am a billet family for a Minotauro player, meaning they live with us through the season. The, the, the Minotauros been, being a, a hockey team here locally. Yep, yep, they're the NAHL hockey team here in town. I had um, invited them to the game and expressed to them that during the flood, the Mesa Arena had been turned into a huge storage area where we all just you needed a place to put your stuff, it was there, and we got them photos. So I thought it was very um, disheartening that they just left that piece completely out, which kind of alluded to me that they had an agenda early on. So, Did you get a, Sean, when, when you spoke with them, what, when, when they pitched you and, and contacted you and, and asked you to, to be a part of this and, and to give an interview, what did they tell you their focus was? Well, the focus clearly was uh, about the flood and, you know, what's uh, what's been done since and, and what our uh, perspective is in living with um, living with a river, the, very much the way that many other communities across North Dakota do. Um, you know, I, I expected a lot of talk about the resiliency, what we're doing to prevent uh, another catastrophic disaster the way that we did. And we spent a, a good portion of our time also talking about that resiliency and about exactly what Miranda talked about as well. You know, the, the fact that the, the citizens themselves did something that 
many other areas the areas of the country you know struggle to do you know we picked ourselves up many times with very little help from the federal government in the individual assistance and be able to rebuild our community in a short time that that we have and to watch i guess the angle that was uh, that was taken and then to in my opinion, as a former journalist, give half facts. I, I honestly kind of feel that some very big ethical lines were crossed, and that's my honest opinion. As a former journalist, those are some lines that that define you as a journalist, and if you're only sharing half-truths and, and skewing the facts, that's a problem. 701-293-9000, if you want to join the program, email me, talk at WDAY. Dot com. Miranda, when I watched this, I was disappointed in that because I, I, I think the story of Minot post-flood, there's a lot of accurate things that, that you could focus on that would make for very compelling stories, very compelling television. Um, I, I think what you alluded to was, was sort of the, the community's response and, and our helping one another. I, I remember, and, and it was something that I wrote about at the time, was we had thousands and thousands of people displaced but very few of those people actually ended up in emergency emergency shelters. I think I think everybody was glad that the emergency shelters were available, but most people were absorbed into the community, on you know, into people's homes, into their guest bedrooms, on their couches, you know, letting people park their their campers out in the driveway. Why not took care of their own? I mean, that's that's a big part of the story. I also think that the efforts uh, you could focus on the efforts post flood to rebuild the community, some of the ways in which public policy. Uh, surrounding those efforts is is flawed and, and could maybe use reform. There's a lot of good stories there, but it seemed like what they wanted to focus on was was climate change and the idea that this that climate change is is erasing Minot, which is just not something. When I watched it, it doesn't fit the facts. Was that? I mean, I, are you picking up on that too, or am I just crazy? No, I I picked up on exactly the same thing. Um, you know, in the segment before um, the Minot segment, they had shown. I think Louisiana and Alaska, and had made a comment, um, who will be the first climate change refugees? And and I thought, what an odd, what an odd show to put Minot into, you know, this being before we see, you know, the segment that they had for us. Well, you know, we know, it, Rob, you know, and Sean obviously knows, we, we have seen an increase in population. Um, we're coming up on another census, but the estimates show minded increasing our water and sewer usage rates are, um, it shows minded increasing. Um, we see increasing growth in the business communities. I, I just don't think that minded is, is vanishing in any sense of the word. It was, it just kind of yeah. made me shake my head. Well, it's really disappointing. And, and Sean, I'll, I'll go to you. It's, it's really disappointing to hear that. When I look at the census numbers, you know, I go back to, the flood happened in 2011. If you look at the 2010 census number uh, through, I think, the 2015 number, we've added roughly 10,000 citizens to Minot. That's about a about a 25% increase in our city's population. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I think when you and I were talking about this before, I, I think you had sort of identified this as as a, an opportunity to to tell Minot's story and, and to get some attention back on Minot post flood because after the floodwaters receded Minot didn't get a lot of attention and so I, I think no, you I saw think... this as an opportunity to sort of tell the city's story and the you know I, I guess the headline that they took out of it is our city is disappearing which isn't fair 
No, and the, the the line that Minot is on the brink, and that was one of the final ending pieces lumping us into the other communities. And I can't speak for them, but to say that Minot's on the brink, uh, the only thing that we're on the brink of is another uh, <laughs> another blizzard that's coming in. What really disappointed me is that this was the first national media and the television platform that returned since 2011. This is the first, and then to be put in the, into that light really um, to be honest, made me angry. One other piece that you know they talked about uh, in one of the one of the pieces of the interview that they had used mine and talking about how many of my neighbors came back. You know, I was in a neighborhood that uh, not far from Miranda. As a matter of fact, we had very few that came back directly to that neighborhood. What what's missing out of that is we have. Yeah, we bought out 250 homes to this point for flood control. We're, we're looking at another 350 for flood control and water storage. What the rest of that story is, is that we're getting them out of harm's way. We're, we're getting them away from the river. Most of those people are staying in Minot. And to say that the, the city is disappearing is completely inaccurate. Uh, and, you know, we have taken steps so much farther and faster than a lot of other communities. If we want to, you know, do a comparison with Louisiana after Katrina, uh, we have done things that the rest of the country, uh, you know, is basically trying to look at and model. How did we do it? How did we do it? How are we doing it that quickly? It's because we're not waiting on everyone else to pick up the pieces. We're doing it ourselves. Not to say that we can't do it without the help of the state. We certainly need the help of the state legislature, the Water Commission. We need the help of the federal government when it comes to the Army Corps of Engineers for their studies. But, uh, you know, this, this, this is something that a lot of other communities are going to take a look at for, for decades to come and try to model after what we did and how we did it so quickly to get back on our feet. Yeah, you know, to, to Sean's point, Miranda, I, I you know, they, they tried to cast, you know, some of the buyouts and, and, and some of the, the ways in which Minot is is changing post-flood, uh, you know, which which is to say that, that the way our, you know, our, our city is sort of laid out, I mean, we're adapting. There was this flood, and now we're adapting to it to, to try to move some of those neighborhoods out of out of harm's way and, and, and plan our community going forward in a way – where we don't have so many people living in, in sort of hazardous areas if, if there would be another flood. And, and they kind of took that, which I think is a very positive, very constructive response, and kind of spun it into this idea that our community is being abandoned. And, and that's, I mean, that's so, it's almost ghoulish. I mean, it's really, I, I think for anybody who would see that and doesn't know any better, it's almost sort of harmful to my eye. Yeah, and, and there was a there was a point where I said, you know, we have to adapt to a new normal. And... <laughs> They they maybe misunderstood what I was saying, but, you know, any person who has gone through any kind of a disaster, but particularly the, the residents of Minot, to include Sean and myself, um, especially moving back, you know, you leave and your neighborhood is one way. You come back and it's dramatically changed. Not just the neighborhood, but your family, even sometimes your family dynamics are changed, your financial situation has changed. And then you kind of see, like even five years after, you see the progress within the community, within your neighborhood, even within your own family and your own self, for that matter. Um, so when, when I said things, we have to adapt to a new normal, and it is different. It is different. Um, it's not a bad different. It's sometimes difficult for those of us who are still recovering um, to accept those changes, but it's not a, it's not a bad thing. And, and change, change is part of, you know, yeah. is part of the recovery process. Sure. And, 
you can compare that to any community that's gone through any kind of a disaster, and they'll say the same thing. The, the normal after the disaster will always be different. And in the long term, I hope that that new normal is a much better yeah. um, place than where we were you know, prior to 2011, that we've learned some lessons and that we have you know, made the community better for the generations that are going to come after us. The, the, the policy around these situations is always fraught, and there's always going to be debates and and infighting and, and a little bit. I mean, because that, that's just how it works, but you're right. I think we're moving in a positive area. Last question for you, Sean, real quick. we got just about 30 seconds left. Sure. Do you feel do you feel duped by this? I mean, they, they, they came, they interviewed you, they, they told you their focus was going to be one thing. The story airs. You say they crossed some ethical lines. Do you feel duped? Absolutely. Absolutely. If I had, as a journalist, had had come up to someone and and had wanted to do an interview on on a basis of of a factuality in a certain realm of uh, a scenario like this, absolutely. It's coming in and uh, asking one thing and doing another. And it's not just me. I think it's the entire city. Uh, I am quite, quite disgusted, to be honest. Well, Sean, Miranda, we're out of time. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about this today. Thanks, Rob. Thank you, have Rob. A wonderful, have a wonderful holiday. More to come straight ahead. 701-293-9000. is a toll-free number. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Merry Christmas, Welcome back, Rob Port, WDAY, 701-293-9000, You know, until we've, we've been hearing a lot about fake news lately. I, I don't know, listening to those two local leaders contrast, you know, their interviews with the Weather Channel with what was actually broadcast, that sounds like fake news to me. It's pretty eye-opening. I don't understand... You know, it's it's and it's always it's always focused on the internet, right? It's always it's always the bloggers and and these you know everybody's looking down their nose. Well, yeah, you don't usually think of like a reputable uh, source like the Weather Channel or right. your big CNNs, Fox News, CBS doing something like this. Yeah, I I think if you take a if you take a close look, you see just as much bias. Um, in in all directions. I'm not saying one way or the other necessarily. You see just as much bias, just as much calculation and, and, and that sort of thing in the traditional media as as perhaps you do on, on the internet. I, I shouldn't say just as much. There's a lot of it in the traditional media, too. It's out there. Um, you should – I think the lesson for Americans is whether you're getting information from the internet or you're getting it from the Weather Channel or you're getting it from CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or any other source – the Wall Street Journal, get a second opinion. Be skeptical. You know, I, I think that's a healthy thing. People need to be more skeptical. Anyway, we got to take another break. 701-293-9000, House Minority Leader Corey Mock is going to be on the program next. Talk about that upcoming legislative session. Don't go away. We'll be right back. With their eyes all on blue.
Welcome back, Rob Port here on WDAY. 701-293-9000 is your local call-in number. 888-970-9329 is the toll-free number. Email talk at WDAY.com. My guest is uh, State Representative Corey Mock from Grand Forks. He's also uh, the House Minority Leader heading into the next legislative session. Corey, welcome to the program. Thanks for your time. Thanks for uh, having me on, Rob. Yeah, for sure. So I, I, I saw the other day, you know, obviously we, we have a new governor. You may have heard. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> and he, yeah, he's he got a, uh, a pretty significant uh, level of business interaction. He's a successful guy. He's had a lot of businesses. Um, and, you know, he's he's going through the disclosure process. Um, one thing that you were talking about, and I, I, I think that this is this is something I'm passionate about is, is transparency. But one thing that you were talking about was requiring more disclosure of of those sorts of interests. And, and I think that's interesting. I, I personally I don't have a problem that that Doug Burgum has business interests. My two criteria are a that he's doing the job as governor that's what we elected him to he shouldn't be off doing other stuff he should be governor which i think he intends to do uh and b that if there are intersections between public policy and his personal interests that everybody's aware of it and everybody understands what they are um so so tell us i mean what you you mentioned i saw you mentioned in an article that you were interested in, in implement, implementing legislation to perhaps enhance disclosures what are you talking about Right. Well, so, uh, you know, to start off, I completely agree. In fact, uh, I want to just give you a quick uh, shout out. I really appreciated your article, uh, your, your column, uh, just recently talking about the governor and accepting his pay. And I think, you know, he is a successful individual and we, you know, he campaigned on, on his business acumen and his success. But at the end of the day, the hundred and thirty some thousand dollars that, uh, that he would be drawing as a salary is, you know, if he returns that, A, he's not going to balance the budget on that. But, but B, it sets a, I think a, Kind of a rough precedent that we're giving up and having volunteer public servants. That's a, it's a contractual obligation. He's he beholden to taxpayers. So I just wanted to say that you know, yeah. briefly on that mo- moment. I agree with that, and I'm glad that you wrote that. Uh, as far as the disclosure, and this is where uh, you know the governor comes in. You know, he does have a lot of financial interests, a lot of business interests, and he has been successful. Uh, in fact, if you look at the legislature, we're a citizen legislature. We have many legislators, 141 of them. Several of them have are very successful in their own business environment, in their own in their own occupations. That doesn't prevent them from being good public servants. We're, and we require every candidate for office and every elected official, every appointed official, to disclose their their conflicts. We can't eliminate all conflicts. We're all going to find ourselves. Um, you know, cross between something sure. that benefits us financially or, or might affect us personally and a public decision. But as long as the public is aware of it, then that way we can we can draw everything back and show that everything was on the up and up when policies were made. So my or, if, or, if, there, is, or uh, if there's we'll, a disagreement because several states. Go yeah. ahead, Rob. No, well, I, well I, I guess the point I was going to make is, is I think North Dakotans like having a part-time legislature, and I think that North Dakotans like electing business leaders if we look at our last several governors uh, you know that, that certainly seems to be the case so uh, you know i if, if we're going to have those things we're going to have to accept that there's a certain amount of of conflict of interest that just comes along with that right i mean we're not electing north dakotans don't necessarily like the idea of electing somebody who has spent their entire life working in in the government sector in the public sector and we could i, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that's what the voters seem to want so if we're, if we're going to have to accept that there's these conflicts, and I agree with you that there should be disclosure. Um, so, I, in terms of actual policy, though, I mean, what what do you 
Yep. What does the governor have to disclose now, and what should he be disclosing that he's not disclosing now? Well, so, and really, there's not a lot of change that needs to happen in terms of what the governor needs to disclose or what legislators would need to disclose, for that matter. Uh, the state already requires every candidate elected and appointed official to file what you're probably aware of is the statement of interest form. And you have to do it either um, as you're announcing, you're, you're turning in your paperwork for candidacy or upon uh, being appointed to office with your oath of initiation or oath of office. The statement of interest is filed at the county office. But none of those documents are available online. So every elected official has turned in paperwork that shows what conflicts they may have, what interests they have, business, finance, et cetera. But in order to find that, you need to contact the county in which that person serves and do an open records request to get that document. And that's cumbersome for the public. I think that's wrong. 29 states, at least 29 states across the country, have online statement of interest, so the, the, the disclosures, so you can go onto a website, maybe it's a legislative website or executive website, and you can pull up the financial statements, the statement of conflict of interest statements of all of your elected and appointed officials. And I think if North Dakota is going to require candidates and appointed officials to have to fill out those documents, that we should at least make them easily accessible to the public. Yeah. It's already public record, and uh, frankly, exactly. I think I, you know for, for the I think we ought to include a link to them with the bios, right? Like right on the legislative website, right in uh, right on the governor's website, right? You go there, you can read all about his history and everything else. And oh, by the way, here's his here's his financial interest. How often are those reports updated? I'm I'm forgetting. Is it once a year? I I forget how often they're. They're updated For because that's something, officials, too, is those interests it's, it's change every time, time you're up on the ballot. So every time okay. you're announcing your candidacy, that's when you turn in those documents. So every four years. So it- Every four years for, for legislators, uh, of course, unless there's, you know, you're running for a different office in which you'd fill out a new one. Uh, and I believe it's, it's every term in which you're appointed for appointed officials. Yeah. So that needs that needs some sprucing up. Uh, what else is on the agenda for for the legislative session? I mean, obviously you're entering one. You you folks, uh, the, the Democrats took a, a little bit of a shellacking on on uh, on election day. Does that change your thinking heading into this legislative session? I mean, does that make you think that maybe some of the things you were pursuing in the past are just not what voters want? You know, for me personally, it doesn't change anything. Uh, I'm elected to serve the, the folks of Grand Forks and, and to be a public servant for the state of North Dakota. And, and uh, my job is the same whether I'm in a caucus of 13 or, or 81. I mean, and I don't think anyone's uh, attitude should change. Our goal should be to create good public policy that benefits North Dakotans. Now, in terms of strategy, and our caucus is definitely smaller. Uh, a year and a half, two years ago, when we were looking at the numbers, you know, I, I said it fairly publicly, that if Hillary Clinton is our nominee, it's going to be very difficult for Democrats. Her numbers in North Dakota were, were atrocious. Uh, I think Barack Obama had higher favorabilities two years ago than Hillary Clinton. So that, you know, it shouldn't have come as too big of a surprise that it would have been an uphill battle for North Dakota Democrats to uh, to get over the crest of, of the national Democratic brand um, with Hillary at the top of the ticket. Uh, but, it, you know, really, our policies have not changed. Uh, it, locally and around the state, Democrats believe that... Uh, you know, we want to see good tax policy that makes North Dakotans able to succeed financially. We want to make sure that, that families have uh, the resources they need to succeed, that you're not turning away people because they just can't afford child care and it just doesn't exist in their community. And, you know, what are these things that we can do to help families in North Dakota succeed without being in the way as a, as a, with a bureaucracy? And, and uh, I look forward to working with, with Republicans and, and Democrats in the House and the Senate I think we've got some good policies that we can push forward that just makes North Dakota a little more competitive on a national level and gets North Dakotans a chance to succeed.
How do you think it's going to be like to work with Doug Burgum? I'm looking forward to it, actually. You know, Doug and I have, have had a chance to work together. Uh, I've been a longtime volunteer with the American Legion Boys State Program. Doug's son, Joe Burgum, was a past Boys State governor. So, you know, my relationship with Doug goes back several years. Uh, very, very casual. I mean, we were acquaintances at best. But, you know, since he was elected, him and I have had a couple conversations. Uh, I'm excited for his administration to come in. Uh, I think he's going to bring a few changes to the Capitol. And, and as a legislator, you always want to have a cordial relationship with the other branches of government. And Doug did it right by extending that right hand, said, uh, ready to work with you. Uh, we've got uh, one interest in mind, and that's North Dakota. Let's get, let's get to work. If there's a headline, last question, if there's a headline for Democrats heading into this legislative session, what would it be? Uh, for Democrats or from Democrats? Uh, well, from from Democrats. I mean, what, what what do you want the public to know about what you're going to try to do this session? Uh, I would say you know, we're going to put families first, and and, uh, and we're going to be uh, – our, our goal is to restore trust and accountability to government. And, and uh, I think you can count on that from North Dakota Democrats uh, all session long. Well, Corey, thanks for your time. Good luck. I appreciate it, Rob. Merry Christmas to you and the family. Yeah, same to you. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a Welcome back. Last segment, Rob Report. I don't know if Natil is editorializing with this song. No, this is just like my favorite Christmas movie ever. Right up there, this and Jingle All the Way. Now, do you like the original animated version yes, or do you like only, the Jim Carrey version? only the original animated version. The Jim Carrey version can go crawl in a hole and die. And the Jim Carrey version is, is awful. And the most awful thing about it is the costume. I feel uncomfortable watching a grown man wearing something like that. <laughs> I feel uncomfortable watching a grown man act like that. Well. <laughs> no, but the, anyway. the original animated version, I've actually watched every year when we put up the Christmas tree since I was, I don't know, maybe three. The movie that, the movie that we watch every year is A Christmas Story. That's, that's a good that's one, one, too. Yeah, that's the one I like. I, I'm actually sitting here looking at my own personal leg lamp on my desk. <laughs> Do you uh, get your Christmas shopping done? Yes, I'm still waiting on a couple of packages to arrive. I think they should be here today, hopefully. We'll see. Yeah, my wife tells me we're done, too. Oh, does she? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I helped. I helped. We, uh, no, we got all, we got all ours done. Uh, Cooper's, uh, our, our one-year-old's uh, gift got delivered yesterday, so. Oh, good news. Uh, we're all, you know, that, that's, that's the, the, that's the anxious thing, right? And, and I, I guess you could cure it by just shopping locally but it's just so convenient to you know if you get to the end of the night and you know my wife and i are sitting around and the kids are in bed so it's like oh well let's open up the amazon app and go shopping um it's just so much more convenient that way but then the anxiety is is, is everything going to show up are we going to get a last minute blizzard that's going to delay everything until march yeah I yeah i have and i did i did all of my christmas shopping online this year and i probably shouldn't have but for for me one of like the main person that I was getting presents for, um, it's hard to buy him anything locally because yeah. most of the things that he's interested in, we don't really have stores kind of for here. Esoteric. 
Well, and it, esoteric and geeky. I mean, like I did go yeah. down to Paradox Comics and Cards and I got a new board game, but... Oh, what'd you get them for a board game? Uh, I picked up Puerto Rico, which is, it's one that we've played in the past and it's really, really yeah. enjoyable, but it's, uh, you know, the sort of like big kid board games, as I call them, are between 50 and 75 a pop. So they're not something to, we get a lot of new ones yeah. of. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. All right. Jay Thomas show coming up next. Remember, you can catch me here Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Outside the snow is falling and friends are calling you. Come on, it's lovely wet for sleigh ride right together with you. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, let's go. Let's look at the show.